All right. All right. We see the green right. on air button. <laughs> so, all right. What's up, everybody? We are joined with Brian Burridge from Good Fucking Design Advice today. As you know, what's Howdy. up, Brian? How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys? I'm good. Definitely good. Thank you for joining us today. Everyone Thanks is really excited to have you. Um, so I we have some questions. <laughs> so we have some questions below. Uh, we've already started listing some questions and getting some upvotes on them. Mm -hmm. um, but I think before we get into that, um, I'd like to hear a little bit about you. So why don't you give us like your background and tell us uh, who's Brian? Uh, let's see. Who's Brian? Um, well, prior to being the uh, one of the swearing co-founders of Good Fucking Design Advice, um, I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, in the United States, which is actually where I am back living now as of about six weeks ago. Um, I haven't lived here for almost uh, like 12, 15 years, somewhere in that range. Uh, so recently uh, moved back and uh, am enjoying that. So um, I went to college uh, at Kent State University. Um, I really, you know, in retrospect, like I didn't really understand what graphic design was until I had gotten into school. Like when I was in high school, I was the art kid. Like I always liked to draw. I liked to paint, um, stuff like that. But um, I didn't really know what I was going to do with it. I thought, uh, I thought about getting into art education um, somehow and, you know, through the, through fate and universe. Um, I happened upon the design program at Kent State, and I started, and I immediately I, I fell in love with it. I mean, the workload was ridiculous. Um, I think uh, the numbers roughly like there were 400 students that started uh, in my freshman class, and we graduated 40 of those 400 people. So it was a fairly rigorous program. Um, so I went through that program. Uh, I loved the hell out of it. I you know lost all my hair doing it. Uh, <laughs> totally worth it. And then. Uh, I spent uh, sort of the, sort of the start of the GFDA story immediately after I finished undergrad. It was the uh, economic recession in like 2008, 2009, and um, you know I, I was all set up to like have uh, a job and you know like all, all the good things that's supposed to happen. Like you're supposed to go to college and you're supposed to you know like get a job and you know get married and all those things. And you know the girlfriend I was dating, we broke up, and I was really sad. And then the economy tanked, and I, I couldn't find any work, and I went back to living at my parents' house. Um, for a brief period of time, and from there was like waiting tables and not doing anything that I had, you know, worked so hard for. I was like basically professionally exactly where I was when I was seventeen, and that was uh, a huge kick in the balls. Um, so as as luck would have it, I started. Uh, I fi I finally found a freelancing job uh, in Cleveland, which was not far from Kent, but about two hours from Pittsburgh. But uh, the way that things work is like I, I really couldn't get um, an apartment at all simply because uh, I didn't have like a job. Like I was working for myself and I didn't have any employment history. And um, so basically for four or five months, I slept on couches at friends' places for a week and then would go to work. And then on weekends, I would uh, drive back to Pittsburgh to my parents' house and I would you know do laundry, that kind of thing. And then Sunday night, I'd leave again and go through that. And um, you know that worked, like I said, for about four or five months. And then I finally had enough money saved up like I could get a good apartment and I had like proof of income, you know, they could look at my bank statements and everything. So um, I did that and immediately afterwards got let go from the, the freelancing gig that I had was this, it was supposed to be like a six month gig after that point. Um, and so then I was scrambling for money again and I started, uh, I wasn't far from Kent, so I started teaching there uh, in the fall semester of that year. And uh, I did that and that sort of rolled into graduate school and that was where I met Jason. 
And uh, a couple weeks into starting graduate school, we had this crazy idea for a website called Good Fucking Design Advice. And uh, fast forward six months or six years and uh, three or four odd months, and here we are. <laughs> Boom. The story of a real struggle. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, okay, so, so take us through where you guys are today. So you have Good Fucking Design Advice, which a, a lot of the members already know, and a lot of members have already purchased stuff and are aware of, and know, senior yeah. year, everything, but what's the business like? <laughs> yeah, Siggy has in the background there. I didn't hang it yet. I, it's not hanged. Just I, I got a. It's uh, sitting here, and I'm waiting to find the best place to hang it. And I have two of those, like another one. I have the um, the whole like advice thing. So yeah, see, if I was really uh, smart, like I would have, I would have been more well prepared for this. I would have had like a whole wall of prints behind me, you know, <laughs> like really selling it. Like, oh, look, this is this is my dining room wall, and not just you know. <laughs> <laughs> paint like a serial killer uh, <laughs> so, okay uh, so, so what's the setup like today so uh, it's you and Jason co-founders right. and mm -hmm. give us kind of that dynamic and anyone else who's on your team and, and what the company looks like so it's, it's been a really fluid six years the way that things ha have gone and so we started and it was primarily me and Jason at the helm um, and we've, we've always been the two co-founders um, along the way, we've had a lot of help from various friends and colleagues and, you know, classmates and so forth. Um, particularly when we were in graduate school, you know, people would help us out, shoot photos for us. Or, um, you know, when we first started printing our posters, we had like two or three guys that came and helped us with that experience. Um, but none of them were like official employees at that point. I mean, we really, we didn't even know we had a business in the first, you know, nine months, probably. It was just sort of like, oh, we're doing this thing. And. You know, here's a little side cash, no big deal. Uh, and then after about a year, we had our first uh, we had our first intern, and we felt like that was a really safe way of bringing somebody on, um, paying them in a way that wasn't going to be a real financial detriment to us, but also kind of leaving ourselves an out um, for that. Because, you know, you don't want to hire somebody and then like, oh, this doesn't work out. We don't know what we're doing. We have to fire them or let them go. You know, we kind of had that like, okay, you'll be on our team for – three months or four months, whatever it was. And then, you know, we were sort of like our, the thinking between me and Jason was like, okay, if we really like this person and it worked out, then we'll just keep them on. If it doesn't work out, then they're just an intern and you know, it's, there's no hard feelings uh, about it after the fact. So um, it, it, that did work out really well. Um, we kept our first intern on and he worked for us uh, probably for another year or two. Um, and uh, then we started like from that point on, we started kind of following that model of like, we'd bring somebody on as an intern and then if they worked out really well, then we would keep them. And we always had like, we had anywhere from like two to four employees at any given point um, up until about two years ago. And their primary, the, the primary responsibility was for them to do um, all of the shipping and logistics. And then secondarily, um, once those tasks were completed, we would have them collaborate with us on, you know, like product development or writing um, some of the uh, small smattering of client work we would do. Um, we would we would have them do a lot of them were like college students and graduate students. So we were also trying to pepper their experience with um, some things that would be valuable for them in a direct professional way, uh, aside from just sort of being our box junkies. Do you, do you uh, use any uh, do you use any outsourcing or any um, any other like hired work besides um, those guys? So so uh, yeah so two years ago. Um, we, we decided like we were leaving the middle of Northeast Ohio. Um, Jason moved to New York City and I spent uh, about a year looking for um, a fulfillment center to take over the, the general, the day-to-day -day stuff. 
um, because you know we just didn't really want to do that anymore. We've been doing it for like four years, and just quite frankly, we were done. Like I like don't want to pack boxes all the time. So we spent uh, a lot of time looking for the right fulfillment center for us, and uh, you know calling places and conversation after conversation, and um, you know some places were too small, some were too big and too expensive. Um, others were. Um, Others, like I would have conversations for like a week or two with the sales guy and then word of the name of our company would get to a border. We're not going to do that. We'll subject our employees to looking at profanity all day. Um, some places wouldn't roll posters. So there were sort of all of these little problems that would pop up. But we finally found a good place. Uh, we're super happy with them. They're called JM Field. Um, they're located in Florida. So uh, about two and a half two years ago, so, I don't know, something like that. We, we sent all of our stuff down there and then um, I moved to Cincinnati, which is where I was for like the last 18 months until I just moved back to Pittsburgh. Um, so now like with, with the logistics and the packaging and, and all that handled uh, by the fulfillment company, I mean, we keep in regular contact with them, of course, but um, we don't have any employees anymore. You know, like we don't have a, a centralized location for, for that kind of thing. You know, Jason works uh, his studio We'll have interns come in and work there, um, and then I'm, you know, I'm just in my apartment at this point. Like I haven't established a studio space here in Pittsburgh as of yet. Um, so we uh, we had like an intern this past summer uh, in New York, which worked out really well. And uh, so we would collaborate. Like he would see her a couple days a week, and then you know she and I would Skype, and you know I delegate various tasks. And um, she helped quite a bit with like the writing of some of our Monday advice emails. If you're a part of our newsletter. Um, so that, we, that was sort of how we collaborated. And then anything else, um, you know, we'll have like collaborators. Like we did a uh, poster with James Victoria, who's a famous New York designer um, and some other projects here and there where, you know, we'll contract out, we'll come to some sort of agreement with whoever we're working with for, for that job. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So you mentioned um, the, Mon the Monday Advice newsletter mm -hmm. and can you take us through, and one of the things you guys are known for is having like amazing content and always kind of pushing the limits on, you know, when it comes to profanity or whatever it is, but just kind of like pushing the limits on and getting people's attention. So can you take us through what kind of content you, you create today, what you send, newsletters, posts, and how that whole operation works? Yeah, uh, that's, been a, uh, that's a good question because it's, it's been quite a struggle for us to figure it out. And I think, you know, everything's always changing. You're always trying to like stay ahead of the curve. Right. Um, so we, for a while, we, we tried doing articles um, and you can still find those. And every once in a while we'll publish an article, like I'll write something um, and it, it'll go out. But um, you know, we tried very hard about two and a half, maybe three years ago to have like a, every other week, like some new article. And um, that was very difficult because like, I didn't have the, like Jason and I together didn't have the time to write articles among all the other things we were doing, like to, to fill that sort of schedule. And so then we were hiring uh, friends and colleagues uh, to write. Then, you know, the, the articles ultimately ended up being in their voice and not in the GFDA voice. Mm -hmm. um, and so the content was good, but it just didn't feel like it was right. You know, it's like we, we were kind of, if you're familiar with like Behance and 99U and a lot of those sites that offer like really great, like even Fast Company, which is, you know, obviously a bigger uh, group. It's like there, we found like we weren't that, you know, as, as much as we were like trying to push that thing, like it just, that wasn't the direction that was right for us. And, um, and so we couldn't really keep up with that. And it, it didn't, it didn't work out. We'd have like hits and misses and more misses than hits, I would say. Um, but, but at the same time, you know, we sort of felt like we had this gap between 
um, you know, the, the advice that you could go to the website or you had, you had the advice and then you had like, you could buy something and then you had this, like you could have me and Jason come out and do a workshop or a speaking engagement, but there wasn't like any, there was, there was no like gradation of like deeper level of content. It was like you either visit the website and you buy something or you see us in person and there's this huge gap of, of nothingness. And so we've been trying to figure out like, well, how do we, how do we fill that? How do we give people a deeper level of um, content and information? Um, and, you know, the workshops are great and we love doing those. And, you know, we want to do more. So there's my pitch. Hire us to come <laughs> do a workshop for you. Um, but beyond that. It, should bring you to Israel. What's that? We should bring you yeah, to Israel. Hell yeah, you should. <clears throat> I'd love yeah. to come. Um, but Done. the... Uh, the the Monday advice sort of came out of that. So it was like, how can we get this next layer of of advice, this deeper level of content? Um, and for us, it's also, we, we want to write a book. Um, and we, about a year ago, we were doing a bunch of um, proposals and ideas and with like actual publishers. And that just, you know, we would, we would like write, they would contact us. So we weren't going out looking for it. They came to us. We would talk with somebody, we would write a proposal, it would go to the board directors, and then they'd say, mm, no, well, this isn't what we were thinking, how about this? And we'd be like, mm, no, we don't really want to change. You know, we have a specific message we want to deliver, so that happened about three times. And uh, then we, we sort of gave up on the idea, at least going the traditional publishing route, and then we said, okay, well, we should do this on our own, but you know, we need to find a way to sort of like sneak the practice of writing in so that we can get to that point. So the, the Monday advice was sort of an opportunity to start doing that. So to, there were a few ideas behind it. First was, can we offer some content in our newsletter that's not sales and promotions and products? Because, you know, I'll admit like, man, if, if I was like, had a company like GFDA and like the only emails I ever got from them was like buy my shit, mm -hmm. like I wouldn't stay on their newsletter very long. Um, so acknowledging that entirely. So the, the Monday advice was like, okay, well, let's give this a shot. You know, it's, it's easy. I think when I, earlier when we started it, uh, the writing process took me, you know, a good like three or four hours to really hone in on, you know, to write basically four or five sentences, which is sort of embarrassing. But, you know, like trying to get the right tone, the right, you know, pacing, like how it was going to be. And then as time has gone on, like, you know, I, I sit down most Monday mornings for about an hour. Um, and I sort of have this process where like I dick around on the internet for 20 minutes, sort of like gets my brain warmed up. Um, and then I flip through like some of the advice, like I literally go to the site and I'll just keep clicking advice until one of them really speaks to me um, in that moment. And then, you know, I'll copy it into the advice into like a word processing program and I'll just start writing. And, you know, most of it's junk right out of the door. Um, but, you know, within about 30 minutes, I've got something pretty solid. And I'll usually share it with Jason um, and maybe one or two of my friends and just get a little bit of feedback because sometimes, I mean, like anything, you need feedback. So sometimes it's like I've got something in my head and I kind of know the context of it, but that might not necessarily be clear to somebody outside of my head. So, uh, you know, that feedback is really valuable. Yeah. And that's cool to hear also how, you know, you stuck with it and now it's, it's taking so much less time than it was in the beginning. Because I think that's something. Oh, yeah that uh, a lot of people in the program now are probably dealing with they're they're um, four weeks in just about four weeks in and mm -hmm. they're setting up their own websites and their own newsletters and trying to decide uh, what types of content they want to be consistent with and how they want to their newsletter to be formatted and you know especially at the beginning um, and with every new type of thing that Sagi and I do as well 
you know, there's that, that struggle where you're like, I'm doing this. It's taking so much time. Is it going to be worth it? So it's nice to hear from you that, you know, it, it also, it, you actually saw the decrease in time and it does get easier as you go on with it. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as, as far as being worth it, I mean, I obviously know it's, it's worth it, but how do you, do you have a way of measuring that it's worth it or that you're getting um, something out of this newsletter that you're setting? Is it like, you know, tracking or you're seeing a specific spike in traffic to your website or just, is it just a feeling? Um, it's a little bit of both. So um, again, like, you know, we wanted our newsletter, ultimately we were looking at it and we, we were seeing, looking at all of our social media and our engagement and the newsletter for us was, um, was we were generating the most traffic out of that, even just from product sales before we were, uh, or product related emails uh, mm -hmm. before we were doing the Monday advice. And so again, we, we knew like, okay, well we can't like send just sales and promotions out twice a week. You know, we don't have line like how many times can you advertise the same couple prints and mugs like that just gets redundant so it was like okay well we need to come up with some way of doing content and that sort of led to the the Monday advice um, uh, and I've already lost what was your question again <laughs> so as far as knowing that um, it's oh the, the impact and that you're getting you know traffic or sales or right right so it's interesting because the actual the Monday advice um, you know because we use MailChimp and so the the metrics like it's it's not really asking the customer to do anything. Uh, there's there's an there's an option to like tweet it and people tweet it and people put it on Instagram. Um, but you know like as far as like the typical quantitative metrics that Mailchimp provides, it's it's fairly low, especially compared to our product emails. But then when you look at the qualitative metrics and you like you hop onto like Instagram or something and you see people start sharing it and every once in a while we'll share like if, if we feel really strongly about one of the ones that's been written we'll share that on Instagram and we get more likes and favorites and everything in all of our social media channels through that and also you know when when it there are times where like I write it and uh, like I, I always get it to a point where I'm very satisfied but sometimes you know you just have those ones you're like oh fuck this one's a home run. <laughs> And it's interesting because like consistently when I've had that feeling of like, this one's a home run, we will get like, uh, you know, people will take the time to respond. Like we'll get a handful of people that will write back to us um, from the newsletter and say, I really needed this today. Or, you know, this is, this is exactly what I need to hear. You know, this is awesome. Thank you. And that's like, that's the qualitative, like, you know, so the fact that somebody took the time to write you back for from your newsletter is, is highly satisfying. Yeah, definitely. I know you mean it's sometimes when you're you're sending content, you're creating content, and you're like, is anyone hearing it? Is anyone out there? Am I just pushing something out the world? And and then when you finally get something back, it's like, ah, yes, there is a another side of the line. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's it's the it's and it's so rewarding. And I think you know because I, I think I saw one of the questions that, uh, below here as I'm scrolling through mm -hmm. um, about some of the challenges. Um, and you know, for, for us, one of the things that keeps us going when we have challenging and trying times is like the, the response from our audience. It's like, if we're not making a shit ton of money or whatever, just the fact that this is having a really positive impact for people and that it's, you know, improving their lives in, you know, some small way, you know, maybe it's not changing their lives forever, but you know, it's made them laugh, made them smile, you know, made them reconsider something they were working on in some small way. Like that's, that's valuable for us. Definitely. Uh, I wanted to ask you, um, as far as the content, like, uh, do you know 
what was the most effective piece of content that you created or was there any one thing that you guys did that was just like that blew up and you know you saw tons of traffic and that just brought in like a gigantic audience from it um you know the, the biggest thing that we had was probably the the classic advice print um as much as like the the monday advice is probably one of the best things we have right now mm -hmm. But that's like a slow and steady like build of like gaining followers and, and generating interest and so forth. Um, you know the classic advice print that we we have the black, white, and red versions. Um, you know that was what took off very early on um, when we started it, the company, and then again um, about two years ago when uh, it got picked up by the article about uh, Johnny Ive from Apple and him having that print in his office and that was like we got a ton of you know followers and you know orders and everything i mean we didn't we did more money in like two weeks than we do in like half a year typically wow. so that was like you know and we weren't at that time you know we weren't in the fulfillment center we were doing all of our own fulfillment so i mean we weren't prepared for like a tenfold increase in sales over the course of like six weeks it was I mean, we got so far behind and, you know, tons of people that were ordering um, framed prints and all of our framed prints, uh, Jason's father uh, owns a paint and wallpaper store and he, and he cuts glass. And so he, so it's this little shop in Warren, Ohio, which is literally in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like there's, there's no like convenient highway to get to where he grew up and in this small shop. So, um, so like, you know, he was overwhelmed. I mean, he just all day in and out was, for weeks, just making cutting glass and building frames and, you know, um, hundreds of orders of that. And so, you know, usually like, especially with frame prints, I mean, we sell them from here and there, but like I, Jason or I would go out to his dad's place and, you know, pick up 10, put them in the backseat of your car drive, you know, it's like 40 minute drive from where we were in Kent, no big deal. But then all of a sudden it was like hundreds. And so his dad had the van, he would like stack them up real carefully and, uh, you know, he would just bring a ton out and then I would have to drive out, you know, it was like every like twice a day, like go and pick up orders. And, you know, it was just, it was crazy. Um, and, and this was all organic. This was just random, you know, Johnny, I've happened to have it and someone picked it up or you guys. Well, some so, way of, hmm? so, so Johnny, I've had uh, the, the print and actually we had known for probably about two years. I think it was like 2011 when the order came in and um, his like personal assistant then followed up and ordered like, posters for all the senior Apple executives. And we were like, Oh my God, you know, like, we made it. Uh, but you can't really, with, with something like that, you can't really like advertise it, you know, like it's sort of a breach of, it's not, not like illegal or anything, but it's sort of a breach of like yeah. trust and privacy. Like, you know, like, uh, okay. Like they're advertising that we bought something. So that's not, that's not a good approach. But um, the, the New Yorker had a, a expose about Johnny Ive that was like, I don't know. 10 pages long. Um, and in there it talked about how in his office he has two prints, one of which is ours. The other is, is a Banksy. Um, mm -hmm. and that was just, you know, it took off and, you know, he's such a important icon in the design world, you know, like every, especially all the click hole news sites, like business insider and all this stuff, like check out the poster that exists in Johnny Ives office, you know, and then they would link to it. And so it was just this, you know, it was mostly other people trying to get traffic by linking to our print um, that, that that sort of came about. Um, and unfortunately, you know, in retrospect, like at the time, we didn't really, we weren't, we weren't prepared for any of that. We weren't prepared for the sales and we weren't prepared for the huge inflow of traffic to our site. So we weren't able to properly capitalize on like, you know, having like a clear 
spot for people to sign up for our newsletter and, and everything else. Like if, if we couldn't do it all again, you know, it would be so much more successful in terms of um, being able to hang on to that momentum and keep it going forward. Whereas, you know, what we saw was a huge spike. And of course, you know, like it'd be very difficult to maintain the, the pinnacle of that. But, you know, after the spike was over, we, we went back to where we were almost exactly. So it wasn't like, you know, what you would prefer to see as a huge spike, but then you keep that momentum moving upward from, you know, wherever it starts to even out. And for us, it was like up, down, and then like exactly where we had been hmm. two months earlier. Okay. And Danielle asked in the chat if you have a link to the article. If you, it doesn't have to be, uh, if you have now, if you can drop it in the chat or if later, uh, we'll put it on. Uh, the yeah, let's see. And New Yorker, Johnny Ive. Go ahead. Um, so that's really interesting what you said, though. That So it was like this giant spike, and then it kind of went back to how it was before. And you kind of like picked up on all sorts of things that maybe you would, if you were like better prepared for a huge spike, how you would keep that momentum. So uh, let's mm -hmm. say if, that, if you have one of these again, this time are you prepared? Have you changed things? Or are you set up in a different way to kind of to grab it, grab the wave, the wave and kind of ride it this time? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the, I'd say the two things, uh, the, the two biggest mistakes that we had were, um, uh, well, we'll say three. We didn't have the product inventory uh, for sales of that type. And, you know, quite frankly, like right now, I can't say that we, we keep that much inventory, but like our supply lines and our process and like sort of knowing what that experience is like, we could get that into production pretty quickly so that it's not as much of a problem. Um, but the, the other two would be, you know, the, the newsletter thing. And so now when you visit our site, if it's like the first time you visit our site, like a lot of places, like it prompts you with like a, a modal that comes up and is like, you know, sign up for our newsletter and, you know, you can click no thanks and it goes away. And we tried to, you know, make it sarcastic in our usual, you know, bad sense of humor. So that sort of helps the experience because that can be an annoying thing. So we figure anytime we're doing something annoying like everybody else is doing that we know is nevertheless effective, at least make it entertaining for, you know, our customers um, and our readers. So I think, you know, having that clear, like you land on the site and like, oh, they have a newsletter, they have content that they're sharing, the sales and so forth, we would, you know, could gain a ton of newsletter subscribers from that. Um, and then now that we have the uh, logistics facility in Florida that we're using, you know, now it's not just, you know, three dumb college students and me and Jason, like trying to, you know, package hundreds and hundreds of orders. It's, you know, a professionals that have, you know, four warehouses and this is what they do day in and day out. So it'd be no problem for all of a sudden 600 orders to come in in an hour and then, you know, have them sent out the next day without missing a beat. It's like Hiroko for drop shipping. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> nice you one. like that, David. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to tell everyone who's watching now, um, we're going to go start like heading down through these uh, questions because uh, you guys asked a lot of good questions. So if you see something that you want us to ask, uh, upvote it so that uh, it pops up in the list and we make sure to ask Brian. Um, so with that, Brian, the question we have at the top here, and maybe it's mm -hmm. already something you've touched on, but let us know, what's the biggest obstacle you've had so far? Um, we touched on it a little bit, but, but I'll give it like a, a different perspective on this. The biggest obstacle for us is, um, is also our biggest asset. Um, which I think is a profound philosophical thing. You know, your strength is your weakness. And uh, for us, the, the, the strength and, and our, what, what 
really makes us is the profanity, right? Like that's sort of the hook. Um, and then once we have people, what we like the thinking is like, okay, so we've got your attention. That's the attention grabbing aspect of what we do, but we don't want to like continue to uh, beat a dead horse with that. You know, it's like we, we've we've got your attention, but now we want to deliver something that's meaningful and relevant and can help you. And of course, you know, it's still written in, in the tone of voice that is GFDA, but you know, it's not like everything you say is like, oh, well, fuck the fucking client. Cause that's not really like, that's more of an expression of agitation and frustration than it is actually something productive in somebody's process. Um, so, so that's, you know, that's our strength. The weakness of that is that it doesn't allow us, um, any form of typical advertising. And I think I saw one of the questions is like, do we do any advertising, mm. um, any ads? And the answer quite frankly is no, because you know, all of the primary means for doing that, like Facebook ads, um, Google, so forth, like because of the profanity and because of linking to the site that has the F word on it, um, we, we get rejected all the time and we've tried various ways of kind of getting around that. But ultimately like, because you land on the site and there's profanity, um, nobody will, nobody will let us advertise. Mm. Um, and so that really sort of cuts us off of the kneecaps and a lot of, in a lot of ways for our, like how we would get our message out. So we can't promote posts on Facebook. Um, we had invested, uh, about two years ago in like autocomplete on Google. So we were working with like an SEO firm and it would be like, if you type in funny mug, then don't fucking procrastinate mug comes up. But then, you know, ultimately they, they were great because they refunded our money because like once they got into it, they were like, oh, we actually can't do this. There's, it's just not possible the way that Google has things set up in their algorithm. So, um, you know, that, that has caused a lot of, uh, a ton of challenges for us in terms of getting our word out uh, to a more audience. Um, you know, on the flip side, it does, I mean, from a creative standpoint, it really forces us to keep trying to come up with new and viral ways of getting our content out there so that it's truly organically being shared as opposed to, you know, just paying for, um, you know, to be featured. So um, that is certainly a challenge and that, that is satisfies the, uh, some of the creativity for us is like figuring out like, okay, well, how are we going to pull this one off? So like some of the recent things that we've put together, like we've got a, a Slack app, that you can download um, and use if for the, so many Slack users. And we just uh, last week came out with our Chrome extension. Um, so now every time you, if you download our Chrome extension, all that's free, um, you have a piece of advice. Like the Chrome extension specifically is like one piece of advice for the day and the date. So like any new tab, any new window you open has, uh, it's nice and red and GFDA colors and all that. So those are some of like the ways we're like, okay, well here's a free thing that we can offer to our audience that's like, you know, it'll show up on people's computers and then, you know, somebody has it in their office or, you know, a student has it in school and something, and somebody will see it, you know, much like our website, we try to make the advice gigantic. Um, so there's no, you know, you should be able to be like 30 feet away and read exactly what it says without, you know, without any problem. Cool. On that same subject of, uh, of um, dealing with all the issues that come with like profanity and stuff, um, have you had like some, really uh, you know bad encounters with people who are, are offended with your with your work and if so how have you kind of have you handled that yeah um we you know when we first launched uh in the first couple of weeks we got a ton of email about the website and this was before we were even selling anything um and it quite frankly it was it was surprising because there was a strong uh 50 percent 
split like 50% was like really positive and affirmative and like like oh you should make products you should do this and then the other 50% were like you know you're the worst human beings in the world you heathen devil pagans and I mean we had somebody that contacted us and said um, that we that our website had set the design industry back 10 years um, which is like a really harsh insult but also you know like pretty impressive like if I can move anything like forwards or backwards 10 years like that's like that's that says you have power to wield yeah. uh, if somebody has that perspective of you so um, after that though like I mean nowadays like people find our website sort of organically like there we don't have that problem so much um, but the only spot where we do have it is with our uh, speaking engagements and workshops um, so with our speaking engagements the the main content of that is uh, about our story and you know how we got started and the all the mistakes like if you listen for those uh, who are watching if you listen to the podcast that you guys did with us uh, a couple months ago um, you know that whole like struggle of like doing everything wrong getting the posters cut improperly all the mugs breaking just you know one giant clusterfuck after another um, and sort of talking to that and the idea that being an entrepreneur is you know you just you, you don't have the experience like you you get the experience by making the mistakes it's it's the thing that comes the moment after you need it so um, you, you just need to go out there and like move forward so that that's like the topic of our of our speaking and, and so like but not everybody gets that from the um, you know like the school will get it and they'll put a flyer out like oh good fucking design advice is coming to talk to students today and um, you know, like faculty members or uh, people in the local community, like the, the design advertising community will, will, will write emails to whoever's hosting the event um, objecting to our content. And they don't really quite understand what our contact I content is. Um, they're, they're just kind of their gut reaction is you know, what they think it is. Mm. Um, and we had somebody, uh, probably the best example of this is uh, about a year ago, we went and spoke in... Um, outside of Minneapolis um, and we had a gentleman who was very unhappy he was like a faculty member at a local college it was it was a advertising federation that brought us out um, and it was a, a faculty member at a local college who was not happy with them having us come out and what our topic was going to be and everything so um, he said that he wasn't going to bring any of his students and uh, you know so I sent I sent him an email and I just explained you know who Jason and I were, and I was like, look, I understand like why you might be immediately turned off by the profanity in the, in the website, but like, here's what we're about. Um, you know, we both have master's degrees. We both, you know, we use design research practices in our own business as well as the small bit of client work that we do. Um, so you know, we don't just stand in front of a room of people and like swear at them and jump up and down like you know you might your perception might be. Um, and so <clears throat> ultimately, he he never responded to me. And then unbeknownst to us, he showed up in the back of the audience and watched our um, our lecture and like counted the number of times that we swore and then sent a really nasty email uh, to me afterwards and was like, you swore this many times and all of your advice is like such common every day, like you're not doing anything, blah, blah, blah. And like basically insulted us left and right. Um, so I wrote him an email back. He was, I think we, he was expecting me to write an email that was like, oh, fuck you. Um, but I wrote like a really intelligent response and I said, you know, I can under, I can appreciate if you don't like my business and so forth, but, um, you have no right to criticize the character of me or Jason. Like you have no idea who we are as people and you know, how much money we got paid or didn't get paid in this particular instance. And, you know, we, we feel very fortunate that we can do what we do. And so, 
um, you know, we, we donate products and we donate stuff to like student shows and, you know, things to help promote the, the profession. So, you know, we feel very strongly that we're stewards of the profession. And if there are things that are, you know, within our financial or product means that we can do to support, we'll do that. So anyways, I actually ended up getting two separate apologies from him and he was like, yeah, you're right. Um, I don't like your business, but you know, I really had no business, uh, talking about you guys that way. So, but you know, that resolved that sort of. Oh, it's such an interesting take on it because I know I, I think about it a lot when even just in like a basic, uh, blog post that I write, if I want to curse or if I want to, um, you know, how far I want to take the language. And on one hand, I'm saying to myself like, okay, so this is me. I want to speak to people that, um, that, you know, I want to speak to people very bluntly and I want to put myself out there and I want to talk, you know, be honest with them. I don't want to hold back. So if this is what I would say to my friends, this is what I'm going to say in my blog post. And on the, on the other hand, it's like, if you put something out there, some people just completely close off. If they see the word, mm -hmm. if they see something, uh, some sort of profanity, even if it's not the subject, even if it's nothing to it, they just close off. So I'm, I'm kind of like torn, always saying, wait, is it worth it? You know, I want to put myself out there, be honest, or is it worth it to just have those people close off completely? And um, you guys have it just from a completely different angle because it's, it's in the brand. There's no, there's no getting around it. Right, right. There's no, there's no escaping it. Um, you know, and of course with like universities, there can be, you know, we, we, at first we were very strong on our, like people would ask like, Oh, can we modify your logo? Can we censor the, the F word out of it? And we were like, no, no, definitely not. And then it was sort of like, okay, like it's, it's really not a big deal. Like you, you still know what it means and says anyway. So, you know, especially in that context of like universities mm -hmm. where it's like, okay, fine. You know, if it, if it helps to promote the event, um, because ultimately, you know, again, the objective is we get people's attention. And then once we have their attention, we want to, we want to say something to have an impact on them. So, you know, if, if, if censoring the F word in like a poster for a university speaking gig, like helps the word to get out more and to get more students there, then we can reach that many more people. Uh, and it's, it's less of an issue for us. And of course, like once we're there, we can say whatever the hell we want. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, we try to, we try to be flexible in that. And, um, you know, interestingly on, on the flip side, again, like it's the, the F word is both the, the struggle for us and also the, the, the powerful thing that, that we sort of get people's attention with. Um, and that's how uh, earlier this year we've we've done two workshops with Nike out in Portland um, with different divisions of theirs, um, working with like uh, the first time we worked with about sixty people um, in this huge space, and we did like a whole afternoon uh, workshop with multiple exercises. And then um, you know apparently they liked what we had to say and what we had to do, so uh, they had us come back and work with a different division, which was like we had a morning session that was short and then a longer afternoon session. The morning session we had like 150 people we were doing this workshop for and uh then we did like we had like 35 or 40 people in the afternoon um you know and they were like more than happy to say like these are our like partners at good fucking design advice and we were like oh hell yeah <laughs> partners with nike I, like i like the way that sounds so just yeah i think it. that there's yeah that's <laughs> that's exactly it. so i think that there's there's something to the you know us sort of staying the course and like not changing certain aspects of our brand on a global scale to like, you know, bow down to what might be an easier route for advertising or whatever. The next question we have here is from Anna and she asked, how do you stop fucking procrastinating? Oh man, that is such a hard one. And I can't, you know, 
it's it's one of those things where like somebody we always get this question like do you guys follow all of your advice and if like you know I don't know if they're expecting us to actually say yes um, maybe students do but but uh, you know most people is like no absolutely not and in fact very intentionally a lot of our advice is contradictory you know like very simply we have use Helvetica don't use Helvetica like like which which is it like I don't know it's it's contextual it's it's relative to the the situation um, you know and as far as procrastinating is concerned um, you know it I think trying to figure out what the root of it is 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 an important aspect that a lot of people don't talk about like are you procrastinating by doing something that you enjoy more or you know like for me I know like procrastinating like I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast or the screencast that um, you know, like when I when I go to do my Monday advice writing, like every Monday morning, like I sit down and I kind of give myself 20 minutes to just like click around the web and, and like procrastinate and waste time. Like I, I know that that's kind of part of my process for getting warmed up and getting ready and that, you know, perhaps something I'll come across something that influences which advice I choose for the day. Um, and this is true even in like the design practice when we're working on stuff for GFDA or for clients, like there's a certain... Um, I know that I have a procrastination tendency, so I'll allow myself that for a certain bit. I'll say like, okay, I'm going to procrastinate for like 30 minutes, and then I'm going to hunker down and, and get to work on it. Um, I do think that sort of related to procrastination with like the social media world that we live in and uh, the distractions and how that can feed into procrastination, um, you know, one of the terms that gets thrown around a lot these days is uh, deep work. Um, and so that's sort of like if you – it's really important to like, once you decide like, okay, it's like 10 o'clock you know, now I'm going to start working on this and I am going to like turn off my notifications on my phone. I'm going to like, in some cases I'll like just disconnect the Wi-Fi. Like I'll turn that off so that, you know, no emails coming in. I'm not getting little bloops and bleeps and red flags and numbers and all that stuff. That's like demands your attention. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to work for, for two hours straight. And then, you know, then I'll go get lunch. I'll check my email and, you know, go from there. Um, so do I do that religiously? Like I would love to, um, it doesn't always happen, but, but when I, when I manage the, the discipline to do that, I'm always, you know, like, why don't I do this every day all the time? So that would be sort of like my recommendation for the, like how to not procrastinate. But then the other thing is, you know, on the procrastination of things. And, um, if you're not familiar with her, Jessica Hish is a really great, designer letterer in the state she's based out of san francisco and um one of uh one of her quotes which i'm going to botch but you can look her up and, and find it is that uh what, whatever you find yourself like wasting your time doing is probably the thing that you should be doing for the rest of your life so you know like in her case she was wasting time drawing letters all the time and now she's like the most prolific letterer and, and hand calligraphy and everything in the design field like everybody knows who she is and she speaks it like every conference and all this stuff on typography. So, you know, like if, if the procrastination is driven from that, then, you know, maybe that's, that's a question you need to ask yourself. Yeah, that's a really interesting take on it. I like that quote too. Next question we have is you mentioned that risk is the shortest path to growth. How do you deal mm -hmm. with the low points? And I want to kind of uh, just add one more thing on that too. Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, go ahead is uh, maybe you can also share with us a time that you guys took like uh, what you thought was a really big risk. It paid off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this is this is actually a really good. Uh, this is a great question. It's very challenging um, because when you hit low points, then that is the. It gets harder and harder to take risks, 
And for me, I think of low points like when we're really struggling financially. Um, and I, I won't put any specific numbers to it, but I mean, we've we've skirted uh, bankruptcy and total financial ruin uh, more than twice um, for our for in our company. And it's just you know there's there's like an ebb and a flow to things. And as you hit those uh, really tight points financially, the you really have to start being uh, creative and you can't lose your risk taking mentality because especially for us, like the risk taking mentality is what is who we are. And it's, it's what we, it's, it's what we talk about and it's what we sell. Um, and it's, it's why I believe people come back to us is that, you know, we, we sort of live our message. So, you know, in that scenario where you're like sort of down in the dumps and you're not making any money, if then all of a sudden you switch to a more conservative approach, then it's, it's really the opposite of, who you are and what your brand is, and then that starts to, you know, continues the, the movement in the direction that's not so great. Um, so I think that it's important to, I think it's important for people to know that, like, it doesn't matter what you do, you're always going to have those those low points, that, and you know, nobody really has it figured out. Um, you know, like it's, there's not like a, there, there are things that you can do, but there's no secret formula, right? Like, Oh, if, if I do a, B and C, then I'm guaranteed that D is going to happen. It just doesn't work that way. Um, and so for us, it's like this, we have to keep reminding ourselves, like we're lucky to do what we do. And, you know, every time we've had one of these really like narrow brushes with uh, total task fee and bankruptcy, we managed to, you know, design our way out of the, the problem. Um, but we, we have, at this point, we have no, uh, um, we have no fantasies that like this won't happen again, right? Like the, it's always, this kind of thing will always continue to appear and it's not so much, um, you know, I, people talk about being fearless. I don't think that's really the right way to think about it. Like to be courageous is to stand in the face of fear. Like it, it exists and there is that like, you're very uncomfortable with the situation, but you know, your, your fortitude uh, and stalwartness that you're going to move forward and you're going to sort of sit with this like bad feeling and like, you know what, fuck it. Like, this is just where I am. I'm going to have to go ahead and do this anyways. Um, and then, so one of the things that we was a huge risk for us, this was not necessarily a point where we were at a, um, a terrible financial low, but um, I think creatively we were at a, a real low. We had, uh, we've been, running GFDA for about three years and we had gotten to a really comfortable spot. Like we had gotten very familiar with like how we are packaging our products and, you know, there weren't any major catastrophes with printing or shipping and things getting broken or damaged. Um, we had one or two employees at the time. So it was like really smooth sailing, but you know, we were also weren't really getting anywhere. And uh, Jason and I both just finished graduate school. Um, and so we, we had decided to take GFDA full time, but it's like, Oh, well, we sort of, you know, for, for right now, like the ship's kind of moving well, everything's a well-oiled machine. Now we can invest, you know, 40, 50, 60 hours a week into this, but you know, we're not, this is just the same stuff we've been doing. How do we, how do we change this? How do we change this up for us? Because we know that if we keep ourselves fresh, then our work and our company, our perspective is going to be fresh. So um, it just so happened that around the time where we were feeling this, we got invited to speak at a conference. Uh, it's called the What If Conference, and we spoke there in. Um, uh, it was in the Dominican Republic, and it was at like this nice resort and 
we were like, wow, somebody paid for us to come here and do this. This is amazing. Um, but we, what happened there was, uh, you know, we spoke and that went really good, but we met so many other like speakers that were there that were just these amazing people and, you know, way more talented and creative and successful than we were. And it was just like, and they had a ton of stories about traveling. Um, and so that was sort of the basis for when in 2013, when we did our tour, we basically like went home and we we're like, fuck, we need to, we need to travel and we need to go and see, like, we need to interact with people that are buying from our brand and just, you know, like go see the country. Um, and so very quickly we went back and we're like, fuck it, bought a van on eBay. Um, we had no spots booked or anything like that. And you know, it broke down, we had all these problems and had to get it like fixed and repaired. And, but nonetheless, like it was just like, okay, well we're, and if we're going to go, it's not going to be like a short, like, Oh, we're going to be gone for a week and a half. It was, you know, we committed to a solid two months of, you know, driving around the entire country and, you know, speaking gig, speaking, gig, speaking gig. Um, and so that was like a huge, I mean, the financial was a huge risk at that point. Cause then it was like, okay, well we invested in this van and how much money are we going to spend of our own accord driving around? Um, and what's the, benefit of that going to be and again even for that i can't say that we necessarily had a um quantitative like a direct quantitative benefit like oh for every stop we went to we sold like 500 dollars more worth of merch it was it wasn't like that but the qualitative value of the for, i mean certainly for us it was just personally great to go out and travel but you know building the brand and building the message and getting like our presence out to these design groups and a small businesses and startups and, um, you know, universities and colleges, like that was what was really valuable. And so that sort of indirect approach of like, here we are. And then, you know, even if people like say you've got students, like even if they didn't attend the event, you know, their friends did and their friends talked about it and then they went to the website and they bought stuff. And so what we did see is like afterwards, like in that winter holiday season, you know, our sales were up much more than the previous year. And this was before the whole Johnny Ive thing happened. So it was really like, you know, helping us to move along. And that yet again, like in, in retrospect, I, I suppose one of the themes here is like momentum. Like we had built that momentum with the tour, but then after it was over, we didn't properly know how to capitalize on it. I don't think we had a newsletter at all at that point. It was so early on. So, you know, that would have been such a great opportunity in retrospect for the literally thousands of people we met over the course of those two months like I know that we could have captured them like emails and, and everything else if we had done that properly. But you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. <laughs> Always. And uh, that that touches uh, what you just said about like the we talked about also on the podcast the commit first, carry it later approach. Um, mm -hmm. That you as an entrepreneur, in order to succeed, you take risks, and when you take risks, you kind of commit to doing things before you actually do them. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that's a great takeaway. Um, you guys have done it all along and it's something that, um, I think everybody should, should learn from like, you know, you, you want to do something, you don't know how to do it exactly. You just know, you know, you want to do it and you're going to make it work and you just, you know, say hey, everyone we're doing it. You know, you, you guys bought the, bought the minivan <laughs> and, uh, right. I, you, I'm, yeah. I, yeah, I think with um, with those kinds of things and like the, the entrepreneurial spirit of stuff, like you have to, you sort of set your objective and you can't immediately concern yourself with how you get from A to B, right? Like you're like, I'm going to do this thing. And then, you know, like you were saying, you figure out as you go. Um, because if, if from the outset you concern yourself with how I'm going to get there, 
it's going to seem like an overwhelming task. Like you just have to say like, this is the thing I'm going to do. And then sort of reverse engineer it from there. Like, okay, what, what steps do I need to take then to make this happen? Um, and the more that, you know, with like the van, it was, it was such a strong commitment. Like, okay, well we, we now we own this vehicle. Like we can't not move forward with this. Like we really have to figure out how all of this is going to come together. Yeah. That's amazing. It, it also kind of reminds me that when we're talking to people on the side project accelerator and anyone who asks me anything about side projects, you know, I always want to tell them, do something that you're passionate about and do something that you believe in. And when you say that to someone, they're like, yeah, come on. But really, like, give me the real advice. I'm like, no, but like, if you're yeah. not passionate about it, if you don't believe in it, I think it'll be really hard to succeed. And this story now about, you know, buying the van, just kind of like believing that it's going to work. Not really sure not if you how you can measure it, how you can quantify the exact sales increases. Um, you know, that what you told before about just kind of, even if we're not making money, like I believe in what we're doing, I believe in the mission. I believe that we're actually helping people making their, their days better. I think that it's, um, it, you said it a few, like very in a few different subtle ways while answering questions, but I hear it as a pattern in everything that you guys are doing that you really believe in, in your work and you're really passionate about it. And that kind of sets a framework for these decisions that you're making. Yeah. Um, even with like as sort of a very recent example, and this is going to sound really ridiculous, but um, our most recent uh, workshop that we did at Nike. Um, so we'd done the first one and we sort of, we had spent a lot of, we invested a lot of time like coming up with the exercises for that. And uh, you know, we, we sort of conclude on this capstone exercise that really brings all of the lessons together for what we were doing. And so when we went back the second time, they said, Hey, you know, like we love your format and your sequence and everything. However, the last exercise that you guys do, this group has done a something similar with a different speaker. So you, can you give us a different exercise? And we were like, Oh, okay, of course. Sure. But then, you know, we're like, fuck, what are we going to do? Like we had invested so much time, like arriving at that, like that as a proper conclusion for everything. Like how do we rework the, the cornerstone of, of what we're trying to deliver here and also working with a slightly different demographic of people uh, as well. And, you know, as, as is part of our process, you know, you kind of learn, like you have a business partner and you learn like how things go and you have like, you have like points where you butt heads and then, you know, other points where it works really well. And so for me and Jason out of, out of like a bit of like headbutting and conflict, like typically immediately on the other side of that, like frustrating point is where we come up with like the good idea. Um, but it's like, you know, now knowing that that's part of the process, you're like, you don't like hang on to that as like a, like, Oh, why we always butt heads it's just that's how it goes so we were like trying to come up with you know what this exercise is going to be and we were like skyping and we're like oh it could be this like no nah, it's not a good idea no you're stupid no you're stupid i don't know uh and and then somehow along the way we were like it'd be fun to do something with balloons you know like balloons would be cool like okay like what can we do with balloons and so we ended up coming up with out of that i mean again we had probably talked for like two and a half hours with like dead end after dead end after dead end of idea and it was like, well, what if we had the these group? We had like divided the the forty or fifty people into two groups, and we had them compete to create the largest inflatable Nike swoosh. And you know, like, okay, well, how would we do that? Like, okay, well, we could we could buy plastic like painters, like painters plastic, you know, that stuff you roll out on the floor, and we could use packing tape, and then we'd have to figure out some way to inflate them and yeah okay that's that's something we could do so we we did like some little mini prototyping with like plastic that we had laying around our respective uh houses apartments studios whatever and um we're like yeah i think that we could really we could really do this and so then you know we had to present the ideas to to them at nike and we're like yeah the last exercise we're gonna have people work together and 
you know, create this largest Nike swoosh thing inflatable. And I mean, we just had to sell them on it and they were like, okay, sounds good. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, once we had gone and, and done it, you know, talking to the, to the, the gentleman who had us out, they were like, yeah, we really weren't sure that, that was going to work out, but you just seem so confident in it. We, we just trusted you. And we were like, yeah, we knew it was going to work out. <laughs> Meanwhile, you know, we're like, whoo, dodged a bullet there. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, because so with, with that, what we ended up, we went out like a day early and, uh, you know, trying to figure out how, like, I mean, what we made was like uh, 40, 50 feet long uh, Nike swoosh that was made out of plastic and tape. 40, 50 and uh, we had to have, nice. yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. it was huge. Uh, and so then we were like, okay, well we gotta have, like they have to inflate it somehow. And originally we were like, oh, we can use a hair dryer. And thankfully, you know, in a conversation with Jason's dad, he's like, if you try to blow something up, that's like more than 20 or 30 feet. And you know, we, we sort of had a loose idea of how big they might be. Um, He's like, that's going to take like two hours. You need, you need, you know, there's like an equation to figure out like how to fill a hot air balloon. Right. So he was like, had all this information for us. We're like, oh, okay, well we need something that can do this. And like, okay, well, uh, an air mattress pump isn't going to work. Uh, how about, how about a leaf blower? So we originally, we wanted to have like a gas powered leaf blower and bring that in. And, uh, you know, unfortunately we couldn't have a gas powered backpack leaf blower in this space. So we had to get an, uh, uh, an electric one uh, or battery operated. But nonetheless, we built this leaf blower um, that also shot confetti. And that was what we used. We used it twofold. We won for confetti because, you know, what presentation isn't made better by a confetti <laughs> cannon. And then secondarily, um, that's what we used to inflate the uh, Nike swooshes at the end. But I mean, really, it, like I talk about going by the seat of your pants. Like we showed up in Portland to do the workshop. The workshop was going to be on Thursday. We showed up Tuesday night. and we spent like probably the better part of Wednesday afternoon at uh, Home Depot or Lowe's, I forget which, um, like piecing things together and like picking out like which is going to be the right leaf blower and, you know, made it happen. But we really, I mean, talk about like, uh, again, like by the seat of your pants, like we didn't really give ourselves an out. Like we're, we're going to make this thing and it's important for the whole, I mean, this is the capstone exercise and we've got like five hours to make this come together and, and work because you know, the store closes and we have other stuff and prep to do. So it was like, it was, it was exhilarating and a lot of fun, but then also like, Oh boy, yeah. I hope this works. We've been there. Hussigy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, next question from Amelia is the top three yeah. tips you have for anyone starting their own side business product and product top three specific if you can. Uh, okay, let's see. I see that here. Uh, top three tips. Um, hmm. Okay, so let's talk about newsletter. Um, and this is maybe just sort of uh, the specific bulleted listing of uh, what I was saying before. But um, I think it's really important that the newsletter, um, you have to find the right balance of like content and product related stuff to, to go out. Like if you're constantly spamming your customers inbox with product related things for me personally like i just don't feel like that works like i'm signed up for you know a handful of newsletters for like places i like to shop but um basically what I, for me personally what i do i have like a rule in my inbox anything that says unsubscribe um immediately goes into my junk folder and then it's like if i'm looking to go buy a shirt like i'll go back and see if i've recently received an email from that company um 
you know, and then the, the ones that I create the exception to that rule for uh, are ones that have like content associated with it. So if it's sometimes it's like content, sometimes it's product, you know, and I, I suppose maybe that could just be me, but I think that that's a really important like mentality to have. There's some, you have to be offering value to your reader, your customer um, on a regular basis. And if it becomes strictly just like buy my shit, um, you know, I think people get tired of it real quick. Um, I also feel like with the newsletter, um, it's got to be quality. Uh, whatever it is, it's got to be quality. So I think, you know, for us, we have a sense of humor and we try to put that into absolutely everything that we do. So even if it's a product email, um, there's, there's some kind of funny, humorous, sarcastic something about it. Um, and we, we noticed that even with like, right now we've been putting out some stuff with some really beautiful photography from a friend of ours. Um, and we don't get quite the same response, even though they're like amazing professional photos that look like, you know, you could be buying from J crew or, you know, whatever fancy shop you want to talk about. Um, so for us, it's, it's again, that content of something, something that sort of breaks that barrier down. Um, and I think that there's also, you know, we try to, acknowledge the absurdity of the whole thing like like oh look you're getting another email from us you know like when we sent our black friday email out this year um the first thing we, like our subject line was you'll never guess what this email is about because you know like everybody's sending out a fucking black friday email. like of course you know like if this is coming from a company it's about a black friday sale you just you just know um so like trying to find little opportunities like that to kind of poke fun at the, you know, the whole thing, not try not to take ourselves too seriously. Um, I think that helps. Um, the other thing with newsletters uh, is to not, um, don't be discouraged that you have people leaving. Um, obviously you always want to have more people joining than more people than, than leaving. Um, but you know, early on, like, you know, we'd send an email out and I, I you know, never done any sort of email marketing before. And so, like really discouraging because we'd send an email out and like 15 people leave our newsletter and we'd be like oh man like what do we do wrong meanwhile like you know there's also this tendency to focus on the the negative aspects of things meanwhile like 30 people showed up and bought something but but i was so concerned with like oh those 15 people left and you know again it's not that you don't want to uh like note that in, in your head and be aware of it but like it, i mean it really it took months for me to be like oh well this is like a regular thing like we get I'm just pick random numbers. Like we get 30 people to join every week and 15 people leave and, you know, but it's still a, a constant increase uh, and that's just how it goes. Um, so to not be discouraged, like right off the bat when you are seeing like, Oh, people are leaving. It really just helps you. You know, it just means the people that are staying really do want to hear what you have to say or buy what you're selling. Um, let's see. What was the other one? Uh, Oh, other tips. Um, uh, other tips is, you know, we we sort of close our a lot of our uh, talks with uh, risk everything, expect nothing. Um, uh, wait, hold on, I'm losing my thoughts here. Um, expect nothing, prepare for anything, risk everything. Um, so it doesn't matter how well prepared you are. Um, stuff's just going to show up and blow up in your face and you just have to be okay with it. You know, like they're, they're just 100% no avoiding that whatsoever. So try to not be surprised when it occurs. Uh, and then when it does occur, you like kind of, you know, have to find your center and your stable footing and just say like, Oh, okay, well 
acknowledge this sucks right now. Um, what am I going to do to solve this problem? And it's sort of like, you know, we were talking about earlier. Um, you just set your goal and then you have to like figure out how to achieve it. Like, okay, this is what it's going to be. Um, like I've got this problem and I know I need to resolve the problem. Like, so that's my goal. I need to resolve whatever this catastrophe is. What are the steps that are, I'm going to have to take to mm. do that? I think that's three. Gross. In any case, I talked a lot. So good <laughs> no, really good ones there. Good. good. Um, okay, we guys, we have we're already over an hour, uh, so I wanted to say, everyone, I think it's cool if we answer like uh, just a couple more questions. You a few more? We can yeah, have lightning round. Good. Yeah, I don't think we'll be able to get to all of them. You guys, go in now and upvote the ones that you want answered, and we'll go okay. on those. Um, I see one down here that we haven't got to yet that I, I want to ask you because we have a pretty unique opportunity with you. You're one of the few mm -hmm. uh, experts, maybe even the only one who we've spoken with who sells physical products. Uh, so you've touched on some of the stuff mm -hmm. like, you know, um, with the inventory and shipping. Um, but what are some of the other mm -hmm. the biggest differences between you know, a business that sells physical products and one that sells digital products or software? Um, <clears throat> um. Well, I'll, I'll preface this with saying, like, my answer is probably full of shit because we don't really sell a lot of digital products, so I don't have a huge amount of experience in that realm. It's actually something that we've um, we've talked about doing, and, and sort of like with uh, potentially our upcoming book is like looking at self-publishing and doing it in a way where you can like get a digital version of the book and also like a printed version as a way of exploring that. Um, but you know, with like if you're primarily talking to people that are doing digital on the product end of things, um, there's, there's what I, in my mind, what I imagine is a ton of additional challenges because you have, there's a lot of overhead associated with that. And, um, I can say that even now we're still, we're, it's a constantly like trying to figure that out because, um, you know, like the, the profit margins on our products in some cases are, are great. In other cases, they're terrible um, because of the quantity we get or just, you know, playing what the product costs. You know, we're in, like our mugs, we get them like literally as cheap as we can get them. Like there's no other way unless we suddenly, you know, owned our own mug factory that we could get them cheaper. So um, that that can be quite uh, that can be quite a challenge because like right now, the way that our pricing is set up, um, we can offer wholesale pricing and, you know, depending on the product, it's generally about 40 to 50% off. And then we recently had somebody contact us that wanted to do, um, trying to think of the right term, basically like sort of distribution, but then they wanted like an, an additional 40 to 50% off of our wholesale price. But like, like I'd never had anybody approach us to, to do that. Like they wanted to do distribution in Europe. Um, so ultimately we would have to be like knocking our price down like 60 to 70% of what the what we sell it for and like with the product costs the production costs like it's just not possible um you know and so i think if i had a bit more of a traditional business background like some of those questions some like i might have a better answer for those a better way of pricing our products um but like for us there is the you know with the product there's the cost of the product itself and, and the creation of it and then you have to factor in like okay well so the posters get printed and then there's a cost to have them shipped from, you know, one location to our fulfillment center. Then our fulfillment center charges a fee to um, unbox them and organize them and, you know, put them on a shelf somewhere. And then we have a storage fee for that every month. And then when somebody buys something, there's a pick fee associated with a specific product. And then for us, one of the most challenging aspects is shipping. 
And for us, you know, shipping, like we get, we get tons of complaints about our shipping and that's like a constant thing we're trying to resolve because sh shipping expenses are high, but quite frankly, like we're, we're actually losing money. Like we have flat shipping rates for like us, Canada and then international. And like, depending on where somebody's buying from, usually we're eating a small portion of that cost and hoping to make it up. Like, so our fulfillment centers in Florida, if somebody in Georgia buys, you know, they're paying the same shipping cost as somebody in Seattle, but you know, that helps to balance it out because otherwise, you know, somebody in Seattle might never buy it if they're, if they have to pay what shipping actually costs. So um, all of those make like a real hard numbers game. And you know, like I'm a graphic designer by trade and you know, I don't think I'm particularly smart. So like I just, I spent a lot of time, especially lately, like in spreadsheets, like, okay, well this product costs this much and you know, like the shipping is this and the handling is this and the box charge is this. And then, you know, shipping is variable and you know, like trying to say like, okay, well how do we make, how do we make profit? Because you can't like lose money on small volume and then expect that you're going to make it up by selling, you know, thousands because you know, if you're losing a nickel, on one product, you're you're losing thousands of nickels on thousands of products. Um, so that's that's a that's a real tough challenge in trying to you know we're, we're we're always like slightly adjusting our pricing one way or the other, like trying out different um, methods. So like you know originally we were selling our posters for like on just the cloud device print, we were selling them for twenty five dollars. Um, but then our thinking was you know that was before we had flat shipping rates on our stuff, and so then it was like okay, well if we you know, nobody wants to spend $25 on a poster, if we'll say internationally, and then spend like $30 in shipping fees. Like it just doesn't make sense. Like that, you know, it just costs too much. It's just that perceived like I'm paying more for shipping than for the poster. Um, and so then it was like, okay, well, if we increase the cost of the product and then like subtract that out of the shipping, suddenly if you're paying $30 for the poster and like $20 for shipping. It's like that somehow feels a little bit better. Like the end cost is still identical, but the fact that you're paying less for shipping is it's like a psychological thing. Like that just sits better with people. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I can't say that we've mastered that and, you know, I would love, you know, like wh wherever you're at, you know, wherever we are compared to people, there are people ahead of us and people behind us and trying to figure out their own business and everything. So, you know, if we were to have mentorship from folks that are like really experts at like pricing their products and how to get them to move and how to to be considerate of all of these additional factors, um, because one of the things we find is we we do really well when we have low uh, cost products. Like we have our swag packs that we sell for eleven bucks, um, but the challenge is that you have to consider the production cost. And if somebody's only buying one of something, there for us it's a it's a Presently, it used to be a $3 pick charge. Now it's a $2 pick charge. So like if somebody buys uh, a $10 product and it costs us like $5 to make it, and then it costs, you know, $2, two or $3 for somebody just to take it off a shelf somewhere, and then the box costs $0.40, cents, and then you eat some of the shipping charge, you can see like how quickly that product that should have made you $5 is suddenly costing you $0.75 cents every time mm -hmm. somebody buys it. Um, so, yeah, I'd say, you know, compared to like the, in the digital realm, like you, a lot of those costs don't exist. So uh, in that regard, there's a little bit less to figure out, I think. Wow. It sounds like, uh, yeah, it's a very complicated game. Yeah, it's a very complicated game. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Uh, it just, yeah, it just, it's hard. Um, 
so I'm just acknowledging it. It's hard. I, I certainly don't know that I have like the uh, the end all be all answer for that. All right, um, Sigi, what do you say? We go lightning round on the last four and see yeah. if we can get them all. Sure. Okay, so we'll ask these to you quickly, right. and yeah, do just it. kind of shoot out first answer that comes to mind, and we'll go through them fast. Sure. Um, so, what's the best? <laughs> Seven. <laughs> wrong. Wrong. Oh wait. wait. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, what's the best moment you've had so far? Uh, okay, next. Best moment. No, um, <laughs> good. Uh, I, oh, I'll jump back to the tour. The tour was definitely the best thing we did. I don't know if there was a specific moment, but the experience of being able to, for work, like travel around the entire United States and, you know, for two months, 11,000 miles, uh, 35 states, 38 cities, 25 talks. I used to have all this memorized. Um, it was just such a blast and it was so awesome to get to meet all of these people and for me like I love to travel and uh, I had never been like all the way out to the west coast in my life up until that point so um, that was just such a marvelous opportunity um, personally and professionally so that's that's awesome. my quick answer for that what's it like working remotely are big challenges are there big challenges you face with it and big benefits yes uh, there are lots of challenges working remotely um, and uh, I could probably, well, I wrote a whole thesis, a graduate thesis on this. Um, and so now I get to put it into practice and see what works and what doesn't. Um, and the one thing that is, that is absolutely true, you know, I went into writing the thesis thinking that it was a, a lot of, uh, going to be talking a lot about the technology and, you know, doing like things that we're doing here and Skyping and, and messaging. But what I found was that it actually like, as much as I'm a designer, I ended up writing like a hundred page psychology paper for my graduate thesis. And it has a lot to do with communication and, and relationships. And so like a good example of this is like if you work in an office somewhere and somebody comes in late for a meeting and they're like disheveled, like they've got vomit from their kid on them and they're like a mess, there's a certain amount of empathy that occurs. Like you, you see, you, like all of your senses are informed about the what's happened to this person. And so consequently, like you kind of give them a pass, like clearly like they're making their effort, like they had just a shit morning. Um, but when you're when you're like on the phone all the time or even Skyping, like you don't necessarily get all of those cues. Um, and so that can be then there, you can develop a like resentment and like you can it's, it's very easy to break down trust um, over a digital space as opposed to when you're co-located and in the same office as somebody. So it's super important to build. Um, regular communication and trust and rapport with your team or in you know in my case a business partner and to um, as soon as you have any sort of like any feeling of tension or problems or something coming up like to address it immediately because uh, again like trust erodes very easily digitally and, and like letting that go over time can be very detrimental to um, you know the relationship and to especially for like me and Jason the creative process and you know, again, like, like all things, like we're not perfect at this. We, we stumble and fall all the time, but we we always are continuing to get better and better at how our interactions are and how to um, communicate uh, clearer, more succinctly, better um, than than when we first started this. Because when we first started this, there was, I mean, you know, we would we would both start working on the same thing and really like one person was supposed to do part A and the other person was supposed to do part B. And then we would get frustrated and irritated at each other and we'd have an argument over it and that's wasting more time. And then, you know, you're kind of taking yourself out of that um, creative space where like, you know, that, that clarity up front was, was really what was necessary. Um, so that's, that's my, my answer for that. 
right. Um, how do you plan on growing or expanding good fucking design advice? And how did you decide that that was the right direction? Um, let's see. So we actually have, uh, I, I can't talk a whole lot about this at the moment, but we've started working with a gentleman who's doing some coaching for us. He's, he runs a completely different business um, and a totally different industry, but uh, had come across us and was like, I like what you guys are doing. Um, but he's sort of like, he's, he, I don't remember if I just said this, he's like in his 60s. So he's been around for a while. He's run his business for about uh, 41, 42 years. And uh, so he sent us this email and it just, it seemed kind of ridiculous, but Jason and I were like, ah, you know, whatever. This guy wants to talk to us. Let's, let's have a conversation with him. Um, and he basically like picked apart our business left and right. And, you know, without us explaining a whole lot of like what we do, how our finances are, da, da, da. And he was like, your guys' business looks like this. This is what's happening. These are the problems that you're having. This is, this is your challenges with shipping. And we were like, uh, yeah, how did you know all of that? And, you know, it's because he's he's been doing this for a long time and whatever. So um, anyways, he's he's just started in the last, like, two weeks kind of coaching us and giving us, um, you know, his advice and his expertise. Um, and we're going to go down and meet with him. He lives in Florida um, after the new year. And uh, so we've got some possible joint ventures to work with him on, um, as well as him just continuing to help and refine what we're doing. And I think probably the, uh, the most important thing, his most important piece of advice to us, which I guess it'd be good for us to conclude on here is, um, sometimes it's not about getting better. Sometimes it's about becoming less worse. Um, and you know, for us, like, you know, as I was talking about just a moment ago with like all of the pricing issues and concerns, it's like, if we could resolve some of that, if we could resolve some of the, the shipping issues and the high costs for that and, you know, how some of our distribution works, um, you know, we're not like, we're not doing anything new, but we're making the business less worse. Um, and so by virtue of making it less work, like then we turn, you know, in some cases products that are profitable or possibly costing us money into things that are profitable. Um, so become less worse. Awesome. All right. Last question. If I was to set up my own swag shop, what services and tools would you recommend me to start out with? Uh, okay. That's, that's a, that's a good, uh, simple question. Um, I would say, so we use Shopify and we have been super happy with that. Um, when we initially started out, we used, um, big cartel. Um, and quite frankly, I'm, I'm, I know they've like continued to improve ever since then. And really the only reason we left big cartel, um, was more, I mean, we had a great working relationship with them and their product, but, um, the developer that we were using was more familiar with Shopify. And so it was just like, we prefer that developer. So that's the platform he wants to build it on. Mm -hmm. Sounds good to me. Um, so highly recommend Shopify, highly recommend big cartel as options for e-commerce. Um, definitely recommend, uh, MailChimp. That's, uh, the, you know, we've had a great working relationship with them as far as our, our newsletter. Um, one of the most recent things that we've been using is a company called Bench. I know them. Co. Um, you know them. They have an awesome blog. They're they're they have what? an awesome blog, by the way. Yes, they do. Uh, they've got like a little thing about us on yeah. there as well, um, and uh, and so they handle our bookkeeping and so forth. 
Um, and bookkeeping has always been like a challenge for us. Like we've, if you read our very uh, humorous uh, six year retrospective article on the GFDA site, it's like one of the most recent ones we've got up there. Um, we sort of have this joke in like each of the years, like the first year we hired Jason's mom to handle our bookkeeping and then she asks for a raise. So we fire her. And then the next year we hire her again. And then the next year we fire her. And so like, she's been our bookkeeper like on and off for like literally the entire time of GFDA and we've never fired her. Like, it's not like she's really been fired, but we're like, Oh, you know what? I think that we can handle this now. And then, you know, we go six months and we're like, Oh fuck. Like, I just don't want to do this anymore. And then we like call up Jason's mom. Like, Hey, you want to do the bookkeeping again? Um, so yeah, so we recently, uh, back in like February or March, uh, of this year, we moved to, to bench and they're like amazing. Um, they do tons of great stuff and uh, we've really enjoyed working with them and it's really helped to like keep all of our you know finances in order to like look at like where everything's at at any given point it's nice to be able to log in and um, you know they've got like two people uh, it's it's totally reasonably priced and they've like two people assigned to your account so you know there's always somebody there that knows what's going on like if somebody's sick or on vacation like no big deal um, and they help you to like categorize and label all of your, you know, expenses coming in and to know like where your money's at. So that's been really valuable and, uh, perhaps maybe something I didn't mention, um, earlier, but like as a piece of advice is to like always be paying close attention to your finances and, you know, like trying to be setting money aside for whenever that catastrophe hits, because you'll be like, Oh, thank God I got this couple extra thousand dollars in a business savings account. Like now, you know, I'm not going to totally lose my shirt this will be okay. This sucks. Like I was saving this for like a rainy day, but um, you know, better that than total collapse. Cool. Uh, yeah. So those are, those are the couple things that we use and uh, are super happy with. Um, we also use Basecamp as far as um, you know, uh, collaborating. Um, you know, that, that helps Jason and I to stay organized as far as to do's and calendars. Um, but also the small bit of client work we do, um, you know, we'll use that for, as well. That's a bit more of a traditional expect, expected use of it, I'd say. Cool. cool. All right. And that brings us to All the right. end. And All right. Oh. Whew, made it. Uh, this was awesome. Ryan, thank you very, very yeah. much. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, Jason sends his best. Unfortunately, he couldn't make it. Uh, but, you know, you <laughs> stuck with me. And we enjoyed it. Thank you. No, that was amazing. Um, any, uh, any right. last words you want to say to the SPA group? Don't quit. You know, it's whatever you're working on, um, that's also why you need to be passionate about what you're doing. Um, is like, it's going to get challenging. It's going to be tough. It's not always going to be, you know, roses and everything. Sometimes it's going to really suck. But, you know, keep the goal and the end objective in mind. And, you know, Trek through those challenging times and, uh, you know, see what's on the other side. Right on. Awesome, man. All right. Thanks, Thanks so guys. Had a good time. Yeah, thank you. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, have a good rest of the, the day, rest of the weekend, and everyone else. Everyone yeah, else, you uh, too. Thank you guys for watching. And uh, take it easy, everyone. All right. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.